uh, if you can call it the Chinese uh, Nasdaq equivalent of the equity market, has soared more than 46% since the bottom of February. So the Chinese Asian market, I would say, is still in a bull market cycle. And the fundamental of such a market rally is still uh, driven by the massive liquidities by the central bank and even monetary policies of the COVID-19 relief package, and also the confidence of the slow recovery of the Chinese economy from the bottom Q1. You know, Q2 GDP is around 3.2%, and the PMI has been above the expansion decline line for four consecutive months. So, so I think the public earnings also that is improved with the fundamentals. Yanan, always good to hear your thoughts. Thank you very much indeed. That's Yanan Wu, who's chairman of Zhengrong Bell. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a look around the markets this morning. Uh, first of all, in Australia, the SX200 is flat. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is down about 1.2%. The Cosby in South Korea up about two-thirds of a percent. Uh, the Hang Seng looks like that's going to open about 200 points higher now when trading gets going, taking the index to uh, just below 24,900 at uh, 9.30 this morning. In the commodities markets, gold is surging ahead just $3 away now from a new all-time high. It's currently trading at $1,918 an ounce. Quick, a little bit weaker, $43.33 a barrel. And also the US dollar a touch weaker, trading at 106 against the Japanese yen. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please stay tuned for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Mike Rouse after the news. The weather forecast, mainly fine, one or two uh, showers, isolated thunderstorms uh, at first. There is a thunderstorm warning in force and a very hot weather warning in force as well. Going to remain very hot tomorrow and then the showers will increase right, gradually. More thunderstorms in the middle and latter parts of this week. It's 29 degrees right now, 89% relative humidity. 8.32, Samantha Butler has the half-hour news. President Trump has lashed out on Twitter at the Institute, bearing the name of his Republican predecessor, Ronald Reagan. Until now, Mr. Trump has avoided criticizing Mr. Reagan's legacy, though he has publicly fallen out with both former Republican presidents from the Bush family. Here's the BBC's David Bamford. Mr. Trump's comments came after the Reagan Foundation asked the Trump campaign to stop using President Reagan's name and image for election fundraising. Last week, the campaign asked supporters for $45 donations in return for gold coins emblazoned with images of Mr. Trump and Mr. Reagan. Mr. Trump said the Washington Post, his bitter enemy, was now clearly running the foundation. Hong Kong property group Link Reit says it's made its first move into the British market, buying an office block in London's Canary Wharf for 3.8 billion US dollars. The trust said the deal was part of a strategy to diversify and improve its portfolio. It follows Link Reit's purchase of an office block in Sydney earlier this year, its first deal outside of China. A subsidiary of the Chinese tech giant Alibaba has insisted it complies with Indian law after a former employee accused it of censoring content critical of China on its apps. A court in the Indian city of Gugaram has summoned Alibaba and its founder Jack Ma over the case. The former employee claims he was wrongfully fired for objecting to censorship. The Oscar-winning actress Olivia de Havilland, who was one of the last survivors of the golden age of Hollywood, has died at the age of 104. She began her career in her teens and starred in perhaps her most famous role as Melanie Hamilton in the 1939 classic Gone with the Wind.
Speaking in 1997, she said the film clearly had an enduring popularity. Well, I love making Gone with the Wind. And the mysterious thing is that we had a feeling in those days when a film lasted one year and then we never saw it again, that this film would last longer. And I think it's going to last into the next millennium too, don't you? Today, the film is seen as controversial due to its positive depiction of slavery. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Hong Kong confirmed a near-record 128 new coronavirus cases yesterday, as I'm sure you've heard. And the hospital authority acknowledged that new cases are being found faster than public hospitals can take them in. The government's announced some new rules, meanwhile, to prevent ship crews from mixing with the community over concerns foreign workers may be bringing the virus into the city with them. And the Samaritans have urged the government to prepare for a spike in the suicide rate in Hong Kong as people struggle with economic downturn, job losses and business failures amid the COVID-19 pandemic and political tensions too. What effect is the outbreak having on our mental health? Are you worried for yourself and for your loved ones? Is the anxiety getting out of hand? What do you make of the latest measures? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.h. Or you can call us and our number is 233-88266, 233-88266. We look forward to hearing from you. Uh, as ever, on uh, a Monday morning, we have a variety of uh, emails on uh, different topics, some of which we discussed uh, last week, about the uh, basically about uh, politic, political developments as well as the uh, pandemic. Um, here's uh, a few of them. Uh, David says... Recently, there have been disturbing statements issued by the Hong Kong government. The latest statement deplores and opposes the UK's new policy to ease the path to citizenship for those with BNO status. It says that at the time of the signing of the joint declaration, the British government pledged not to confer right of abode in the UK on BNO passport holders. It also says it supports the announcement from Beijing that China would not consider recognising BNO passports as travel documents and reserves the right to take further measures. This statement is causing consternation and anxiety in the community. It would certainly help to ease the fears of Hong Kongers if you would invite the British Consul General, Mr Andrew Hayne, onto your programme to explain the scheme and give reassurance as to the validity of the passports. Sam says, uh, those who are unaffected are now as outraged by those affected. Candidates and supporters of the Dennis camp and Joshua's camp Tongues wag like those that of chameleons in a rush to make Hong Kong the playground of the imperialist. Their tongues have taken everyone by surprise to observe how fast, twisted and long they are. Hong Kong has had enough of democronics since the Yellow Umbrella movement. Today, Benny Boy has failed to ask the colonial masters why they failed to introduce universal franchise to Hong Kong during their autocratic rule for over 99 years. With the new security laws in place, it is time for the returning officers to be compliant and reject all those connected with and or concerned in demonstrations bad-mouthing Hong Kong, convicted in a court of law, and say to them no once and for all. No explanations and time should be required as they have missed the bus some time ago. That's from Sam. Uh, Herman says, RTHK has been more balanced lately, reporting on groups agitating for the closure of the US consulate to publish 
to publishing Benny Tai's objective of fermenting revolution, albeit through Professor Holok Sang. Uh, it's amazing that a whole bunch of people's complaints about RTHK's bias can accomplish. As Professor Ho noted in yesterday's letter to Hong Kong, the NSL is evolved as a result of agitation and that Benny Tai planning to force revolution by aiming to have pandems win more than half the seats in the coming LegCo elections, then force the government to shut down, which would in turn force the CE to resign to ultimately get Beijing to establish a provisional LegCo, appoint a new chief executive and arrest political leaders in the pan-democratic camp, thereby provoking major social unrest and strikes, paralysing the economy, forcing a bloody crackdown that Professor Tai looks forward to. Why don't you debate this on Backchat and get Benny Tai on before he tries to run off to Australia, the UK or US? Listening to him attempt to weasel out of this and avoid getting arrested under the NSL should be a lot of fun. Better yet, put both Benny and Grenville Cross in a debate and do not censor or interrupt <laughs> Mr Cross as you usually do. And if you challenge Mr Cross, you better have equally strong challenges for Benny lest you want more complaints of unfair bias thrown in your faces. Bowen says, uh, Dear Backchat, it's interesting you've brought up the topic of mental hygiene of our city today, as this is an issue that Hugh can actually do something about. We all know that since the latter part of last June, Backchat has been suffering from an influx of messages that eschew rational and systematic reasoning, focusing instead on making banal generalisations and cheap vitriolic remarks, as well as inflammatory labelling. All manner of aspersions based on false premises have been cast against designated targets, just as false assumptions about people's background and attributes have been banded about. It is regrettable that Hugh has sometimes been drawn into discussing the personal attributes of individual contributors, first because he is often not in command of the facts, and secondly because these considerations are in any case not relevant where we are discussing matters of public as opposed to personal import. It's high time Hugh started reassessing how he can more prudently and effectively play his due role as a moderator and gatekeeper for Backchat, because the provision of these basic facilities is indispensable to the maintenance of pertinent and lucid discourse in the show. Conversely, the proliferation of public discussions without such backup services being offered inevitably results in frayed tempers and low-class vicious exchanges and aggravates the poor state of mental hygiene our society is already in due to COVID-19 and the political heavy-handedness of our authorities maybe the types of reaction that this message evokes will prove my point that is from bowen it seems the the show is becoming about the show <laughs> i know i try to avoid that so uh, yeah we'll we'll see if we can draw a line under that for a little bit uh tony says don't talk to me about mental health our chief executive <laughs> has done more to destroy hong kong mental health than covid ever will CW says new restrictions need to be applied immediately, not to give three or four days notice. Uh, the government made a major mistake in March, giving Hong Kong residents a four days notice to return to Hong Kong without the need for testing or quarantine. Thousands returned and cases spiked. Does this government never learn? Now we are dealing with this exempt list, which no doubt contains the business friends of the government and those privileged in society. Testing, testing and testing. And finally, Mr Tang says, My wife and I are quite anxious during this pandemic. We stay at home most of the time, but we do need to venture out to buy grocery and other necessities such as hand sanitizers and face masks as our personal hygiene and sanitation products are depleting. We've lost count of the daily number of times we wash our hands or rub them with alcohol. The golden rule is every time we touch an object or surface, we do so. We consider ourselves to be quite self-disciplined when it comes to not touching our face, unlike some who often pull down their mask or rub their 
their eyes. My wife had tuberculosis when she was a kid, so her lungs suffered some damage. This pandemic really rattles her, so we need to be extremely careful in order to stay healthy. Surveying the surrounding environment and watching out for those not wearing face masks could be tiring at times. Luckily, staying home has taken a limited toll on our mental health. Uh, by the way, this is the first time Backchat is running during the summer, so that's a silver lining. That comes from Mr Tang. Thank you very much indeed for that. Joining us for the first part of the programme up to nine o'clock this morning, wanted to focus on the mental health uh, aspect. Uh, we're joined now by a psychiatrist, Dr Chan Fan Kwong, and Pan Pei Cho, former vice chairman of the Hong Kong Federation of Trade Unions, also a, a, a psychiatrist, uh, of course. Uh, Dr Chang, John Fan Kwong, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Um, you know, looking around, talking to patients, talking to other doctors and so on, how do you feel about the mental state of, of, of people in Hong Kong? There is obviously a lot of anxiety. Is it, is it a worrying level of anxiety? How, what do you think? Uh, the overall uh, anxiety and worrying is increased suddenly in uh, these two weeks because the number of uh, infected uh, cases increased a lot abruptly. And uh, you can see that um, the people around are more alert. They are trying to avoid not to going out. <laughs> and also, uh, uh, maybe one or two weeks ago, some people just rushed to the supermarket to buy a tissue or a, a, a rice. <laughs> so, so and, and also, uh, we can see that in, in the evening, there are just uh, very few people in the street. And also, even in our clinic, uh, people trying not to come to have their uh, follow-up appointment because they worry that they may get uh, infected uh, on their way to, uh, to the clinic sort of things. I think that's a normal response that we feel nervous. We are worried. And, and this nervous worry and a big anxiety uh, will be helpful to, to, to protect us and that we, we will be alert to do all the precautions, like, like the wearing a mask, uh, hand hygiene, and also keep social distance to, in order to minimize the possibility of being uh, infected. So, um, on the one thing, it is good to avoid being infected, and on the other, that we may feel nervous. And overseas study uh, told us that um, it is normal to see people become very anxious. And the other things that worries them is that the sense of uh, being out of control and loneliness might be destructive in, in causing much more anxiety and stress in, in the population. Dr. Zhang, I wonder if I could ask you about these repeated uh, comments. I yes. think one came again over the, over the weekend. Yes. Uh, I keep hearing the next two weeks are absolutely critical. And I've, I've been hearing that since February, yes. uh, about once a week. Um, yes. The next two weeks are absolutely critical. The fact is, we got at least another six months, more likely a year of this, yes. at, at the very least. Don't we, don't we need to be sort of getting that message out to people as uh, well, rather than this sort of short-term, oh, we must, we must crack it during the next two weeks? Uh, I think six months is very optimistic. Yes. In, in the sense, it may take maybe one or two years more in order to, uh, to, to let the virus uh, go away. 
Um, so it is a long-term uh, uh, struggle. And the good thing is that uh, even if it is a long-term struggle, we will gradually know much more and more about this virus, and then we know how to protect ourselves, and we we we, we know how to uh, uh, lead a, a normal life, a better routine, normal routine life, uh, gradually under good protection. And this is called uh, adaptation or adjustment. Yes. We all have such ability. Psychologically, we need to get people ready for this, don't we? For a long term. Uh, I mean. For a long term. For a long term, yes. Yeah, we, we have to go back to a normal life under good protection. And we learn during this process. Uh, since uh, February, uh, the citizens of Hong Kong learned a lot. Actually, they know when there is a less case and, and then more safe, then they will do something more, uh, socially more active. But when there is more case in the community, they will... Uh, uh, try to uh, restrain from uh, social uh, activities and also try to do better protections. Okay, our number is 233-88266. We've got a caller, uh, Ling, on the line. Good morning. Morning, uh, dear host, all of you. Um, I would like to express my um, concern about Hong Kong. Yeah, People go ahead. fear not to go to uh, office because they think they will have no money to um, continue their living, even they are sick. Then this is a very sick city. We can allow people to rent the small area that cannot breathe. And this is not categorized as illegal act. So ridiculous city, we have to use the right um, to the point measures to take out the reasons or the roots that will make people sick. Can you can you really get what, what I mean? What are you thinking of? What, what what do you mean? Do you mean like the overcrowding in because Hong Kong? Because a lot of high pay psychologists they are talking about all of, all of them. After, when you are sick, how to do and also how to rehab. They are not do the precautions. And the value of precautions is underestimated in Hong Kong and over the world because drugs is one of the big business, like now COVID Hong Kong. If we use wealth to make wealth, if you use health to make wealth, this is something we, human beings, have to reconsider. This is humanitarian crisis. Okay. Do you, do you feel extra pressure at the moment, Ling? Sorry? Do you feel extra pressure at the moment? Do you feel that the, the uh, disease is, is causing you a lot of worry, is making you anxious? Yes, really. I have a public housing living, but I have no job to mm. pay my rent. Mm. I am looking for a job. Yeah, so I'm sure that's a... Middle-aged people are very, very stable manpower in Hong Kong, but they are out, and they are not accepted. Yeah, okay. And also, many other people coming up with well-educated, cross-border without support, cross-border businessmen without support, they are going crazy and mm. at risk. 
Okay, Ling, many thanks for your call. We also have with us Pampei Cho, as I say. So he's a, a unionist and a psychiatrist, so well uh, p- positioned to, to address that. Dr. Pan, good morning to you, and thanks for joining us. What about that, the, you know, the compound effect of fear of uh, unemployment uh, and so on with, with the disease? That's, that's a terrible combination, isn't it? Yes, I think a, a, a lot of uh, occupations are... Uh, say uh, a lot of workers are really hard hit by the, the pandemic. Uh, especially people say working in the hotel and uh, uh, say uh, uh, restaurant industry and also in other entertainment and other services such as you know, people uh, say uh, uh, say um, uh, I, I don't know. There's a lot of uh, say personal care workers uh, are very hard hit by by the crisis. Don't worry, Dr. Pan, and perhaps you could comment on this, that, first of all, a lot of people like to travel out of Hong Kong at least once Mm -hmm. a year. It's a bit claustrophobic living in such a crowded city, and even less well-off people uh, can take a couple of days in in South China or in Macau or Thailand is very cheap and so on. That's all gone by the wayside, and even here back at home, a lot of people, trapped is maybe not quite the right word, but stuck at home and and not able, feeling not safe going out. It's a kind of double claustrophobia. Uh, Exactly, yes. Really, I would like to uh, remind people that, uh, say, even even though we are now, say, uh, facing this uh, pandemic with, uh, say, new newly diagnosed cases uh, uh, rising day by day. Still, we need to keep our uh, mental health and physical health. And I think really to be able to go out and uh, say to have a walk is is quite important. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, have been over cautious in this respect. Um, Say, for example, nowadays, say in the evening, after dinner time, uh, the streets are really quite quiet, right? And uh, say, in Hong Kong, we still have uh, nice parks and gardens, and uh, and where say at night, it's not not that many people there. So I think it is quite uh, possible to keep uh, adequate social distancing. And uh, say, if you take a walk in those places, and uh, walking is a very good exercise. It not only strengthens our hearts and lungs. Uh, but also it uh, uh, helps us to feel more optimistic and more relaxed. Exercise has a good effect on, the, say, anxiety and depression, and that has uh, a, a number of studies have shown this to be the case. So I'd say just walking would be a good exercise. A walk after dinner? A um, walk after dinner, maybe, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Stay at home for dinner. <laughs> what? what, yeah. what? One question that I, I think has come up is, is uh, some people uh, read about the disease and read and read and read and more and more, get more and more information about the disease and, and find themselves kind of on a treadmill of, of uh, you know, it, may make, it creates more anxiety and then they read more about it and so on, following it yeah, on the internet. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you know when you should break that? How do you know when you should stop reading and stop going, uh, you know, obsessing with it? Well, I think that um, 
if you say if uh, you you spend uh, more time reading uh, such messages, uh, uh, say on on say on, on your mobile uh, mobile phone or on your computer, uh, then the time you spend on sleep, then you should really stop, right? <laughs> Give yourself some time to have uh, good rest and sleep, right? Um, it's true that uh, people get more anxious uh, by reading this. Uh, just like I mean, uh, if you if you say uh, say if you look at the fine print of uh, any medicine, right? There's lots and lots of side effects, uh, but actually uh, most of the side effects are rare. So that's for for medicine, right? The same thing about this COVID-19, right? We know the main route of transmission is by, say, uh, say uh, uh, droplets, right? And sometimes there can be aerosol uh, 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 transmission, right? But if you read more, then you can get it from food, from uh, from whatever, from things you touch. But these are all true, right? That reminds us that uh, that we, we should be careful, right? To keep good hand hygiene. But still, right, the risk some of the risks are really quite quite small, right? So uh, we can't live, uh, say, by uh, say uh, uh, by by say stopping all this uh, by ameliorating all these uh, risk factors. Right? Otherwise, we, we we can't really live. Right? So I think uh, we, we have to remind ourselves that there's a little bit of risk in in, in our daily life. Right? Mm. It depends really uh, on how big the risk is. Right? And I think the the important thing is just to stop the main risk factors. Right? Uh, wearing masks to stop droplet uh, uh, transmission and also to uh, uh, try to avoid the crowded places and also uh, doing very good hand hygiene. So after going home, wash your hands thoroughly. So I think this will be quite enough. Dr. Pan, (laughs) this is all sound stuff that things need to be kept in context and in proportion. But I, I must say, sort of when it's the lead item on every single news bulletin all over e- the world every half hour it's uh, it's quite a struggle to to keep balanced sorry i, I can, can you repeat your question yeah well it's it's the number one news item every half an hour yes uh, yes yes on the radio Perfect. and the main news and the television and as Hugh interjected then it, this is true all over the world it sort of uh, i think cnn now is almost a a COVID nineteen channel. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, the, state the by state and so on. It, it, this seems to drive up the anxiety level. Okay, now whether you choose to turn on the the television or the computer or your mobile is your own choice, right? So, I think that uh, we we can give ourselves some time. Of course, we need to keep abreast and know what's happening, right? So. I think to listen to the news and also to know what's going on is important, right? But uh, after knowing it, well, we, at least we can give uh, give ourselves a half-day break, right, away from such uh, uh, miserable <laughs> messages and news, right? So give our mind, uh, uh, say, a uh, uh, space to breathe. Uh, go to the, say, open space and uh, enjoy the, the fresh air there. Uh, give your friends a call and uh, to, to to know how they are doing and uh, and uh, I, I think there are still uh, there are still ways to to get away from it. Listening to good music, I think uh, on RGHK you have very nice um, music and also 
entertainment programs. I think that uh, we, we can get away from the from the news for a while, and we need to do that. All right, uh, Dr. Chung Chung Fan Kong. Finally, you might want to answer this. This is an email from Tom, who said, who asks how to cut back on social media. Tom says, during these anti-social COVID times, I found it quite engaging to save the world by spending my time loudly disagreeing with people with different opinions on social media. So far, oddly, none of them have changed their minds. Standing up for the moral high ground is quite exhausting. I'd like to learn to stand down, sit out, and keep a low profile. Whether you have any advice on how to limit the time we spend on social media and direct some of the energy towards active other activities that comes from tom any advice on uh, that Dr. Chung? there are pros and cons of the social media uh, on this covid 19 epidemic uh, in the sense that if we did the exposure to the uh, number of cases get infected the number of people died and you one exposure and some answer some anxiety and repeat the exposure and you become very anxious so does if you view the TV news or reading news about this uh, disease, just week once or week once a day will be good enough. Uh, life is always have an option, an alternative. Uh, social media can also uh, bring you close to your friends. Even you cannot contact them physically, then you can make use of the social media to talk with them, chat with them, and uh, discuss something. And also, this is an opportunity to learn, uh, to to listen to different opinions. Okay, uh, interesting. It yeah. may be difficult. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once a day but is a good this, tip. This is an option, an opportunity to learn. Uh, uh, the very important thing is that in a balanced society or community, uh, we should let a different opinion to come out, and then we should uh, respect each other, even you don't. Okay, we're, we're out of time. Uh, thank you very much indeed for joining us, uh, Chan Fan Kwong and uh, Dr. Pan Pei Cho uh, as well. Uh, Malik Paris and Sarah Ball are going to join us, two doctors after the news at nine. The weather mainly fine with one or two showers, 30 degrees now, humidity is at 82. Warayut Uwitiwa had been accused of killing a policeman in a collision in 2012. The Attorney General has been under pressure to explain why the case was dropped with mounting public anger over perceived impunity for Thailand's rich. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Monday morning with Mike Rouse and me, Hugh Chewison. We're talking about aspects of uh, COVID-19 in Hong Kong. We were talking about uh, mental health uh, in the first part of the programme. Uh, we're talking about uh, more medical and scientific aspects now as we're joined by Dr. Malik Paris, Chair of Virology at the Hong Kong University School of Public Health, and Dr. Sarah Borwine, a Canadian physician who trained at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. If you've got any questions... Uh, or comments uh, for our experts uh, this morning, please give us a call, 233-88266. You can talk directly to them. Uh, or you can email us, backchat at rthk.hk. We'll do our best to read out your messages. Or you can leave a message on our Facebook page. That's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Just one uh, political comment. This is from Alan, uh, who says, uh, with the subject line, Benny Tai and other bogeymen, today's United Front mailbag was full of accusations that Benny Tai and Democrats in general 
are acting as servants of Western powers and planning to provoke a bloody crackdown and therefore should all be arrested and disqualified from standing for office. As has been the case for the last seven years, there is no proof for any of these paranoid conspiracy theories. I don't know if Beijing's policies towards Hong Kong are based on stupidity or malice. There is no thought that the more Beijing removes peaceful methods for people to participate in their government, makes LegCo into nothing more than a rubber stamp, the more discontented Hong Kong becomes. That comes uh, from Alan. Uh, as I say, uh, we're talking about uh, COVID-19 this morning. If you want to join in, 233-88266. Uh, good morning. Uh, Dr. Paris, maybe I'll start with you. Um, good morning. I keep... The consensus, if I can use that word, seems to be that we'll be lucky to have a vaccine by the end of the year and then we've got to ramp up production and then spread it around the world. So we're really in this for the long haul, aren't we? We're looking well into 2021 before life can start to come back to normal. Well, I, I agree. I mean, I think, uh, you know... Uh I'm afraid we have been saying this for some time, that this is a marathon and not a sprint. Uh, so uh, in regard to the vaccine, the, the results so far are quite promising from a number of um, the vaccine candidates. Um, but um, the final proof of efficacy is still not uh, available because the phase three clinical trials have just started. Uh, but I think what is important is that um, uh, as regards Hong Kong, if we are going to stand the chance of securing vaccine supply, we really need to um, make uh, um, make the arrangements right now because uh, obviously otherwise we'll be at the back of the queue. So I think this is quite important. We have to make some decisions with imperfect information and, and um, I think we all have to recognize that and, and take action on that basis. Would you advise advise the government then to get out there and place orders even with the most likely-looking vaccines? I think that is uh, what will have to be done. I mean, there are, there are a number of at least two different options uh, to secure vaccines. Um, one is making direct um, uh, agreements with companies, and then there's another more pooled um, option um, uh, coordinated by Gabby and, and some others. And I think it makes sense to uh, utilise both of these. Isn't there a danger that we could spend a billion dollars and then find out the vaccine doesn't work? That is that is perfectly correct. But I think we have to balance that uh, against the danger of not having a vaccine, which would work, and then look at the impact on the economy of Hong Kong for, you know, waiting for another six months, uh, uh, maybe longer, to, to secure a, a vaccine, you know, with the perfect information. So this is, I mean, a, a billion dollars is a lot of money, but the, the, the loss to the economy at the moment, I suspect, I'm not an economist, I suspect is much more than that. So uh, we, we really need to, you know, take some educated uh, guesses at this point in time. I, I, I remember talking to you at the time of SARS and, uh, you know, assessing what, what happened in Hong Kong. It seems that SARS, you know, it, it, it came and it went fairly quickly. This seems to be acting in a completely different way, doesn't it? It seems a very long, slow build-up, and we don't know how long uh, it's it's going to be there. Is it, is it not just going to disappear like like SARS basically disappeared? Oh, definitely it will not disappear. Uh, 
Uh, mm. I mean, I, I think there are some there, there are a couple of key differences between COVID and SARS, although the viruses are very similar. Uh, and the major differences in terms of control is that SARS was not transmitting; it was not infectious in the first three or four days after a patient got sick. So that allowed us time to um, identify patients, get them isolated, and break transmission. COVID is transmitting even before people get uh, symptoms. And in addition to that, SARS largely was symptomatic, meaning there were very few people who were asymptomatic who were potentially transmitting the virus. COVID is different. So for, for these two reasons, uh, is exactly why the control measures have become much more challenging with COVID. All right. Do we know how things are going in the mainland, research in this area? Uh, in terms of research, uh, if you're talking about vaccine research, yes, yes there are a number of uh, vaccines under development and uh, some of those clinical trials have, have also come out. So mainland will have uh, a number of vaccine options uh, as, of course, as you know, there are uh, other options in the UK uh, from the Oxford Group and uh, others in the USA, etc. Okay. Dr. Bowen, good morning good to morning. you. Good morning. Uh, I can't help thinking that us discussing the subject every day is is not helping the, with the mental aspects of this. No, it's certainly true, and I think we're also battling not only the mental health aspects, but also this issue we have with precaution fatigue. We've just been dealing with this for a long time, and people are getting tired of taking precautions, which is one of the issues we're facing in control now. Yes, people got cabin fever. Absolutely. I mean, they're, Absolutely. they're locked up at home, and... And all of the traditional things of letting off steam from the kettle, uh, a weekend in Macau, maybe a week in, in Thailand or something, those are all off the agenda. Absolutely, and it's a long time. As you said earlier, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So we're going to be dealing with this for a long time, and it becomes a question of how can we maintain our vigilance because this virus is going to expose every vulnerability. So we have to be aware of that, and but we also have to learn at some level to live with it. It was interesting, I read an article recently that was published in May of 1919. So it was about the Spanish flu. And the, the author said, well, there are, why are we having so much difficulty controlling this pandemic? He said, well, there's three reasons. The number one, is public and indifference, is that people have stopped taking the risk seriously enough, and everybody thinks that they're going to be in the majority that gets minor disease only. Number two, we ask people to take preventive measures not only to protect themselves, but also to a large extent to protect others, and human beings don't always do that so well. And number three, the Spanish flu was a highly infectious and contagious disease which was spread before it produced symptoms. So you could write that article today, right? And, uh, yes, right. It, it sounds like as, exactly yeah. where we are now, 100 years That's later. Exactly. Yeah. Malik Paris, I mean, we talk about you know this disease not dying out in the way that SARS died out, but, but diseases, epidemics do end, don't they? They do end naturally. Uh, all of them do in the end, don't they? Uh, well, they come to a level of equilibrium. So, so that what happens is that if you have no control measures, the infection will spread throughout the population. 
uh, people will get infected and uh, people will develop immunity. And then the transmission of the virus then starts to come down. Uh, but the problem is um, with this particular disease, because it is quite severe, if we allow that to happen, the, uh, the consequences, as, for example, the UK and the USA have learned, is, uh, is quite horrendous. So, I mean, for example, if you go back to 2009 and the influence of pandemic, the so-called swine flu pandemic, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it came, it swept through the population. I mean, within five months, 40% of children were infected in Hong Kong, although most of the parents did not know, or the children did not know that they were infected because it was so mild. Um, population immunity built up, even by the time the vaccine came available in December, essentially it was clear that the the disease was relatively mild. So, uh, of course, the vaccine helped, but, you know, it was... Um, it was not a big problem, but we cannot really allow that to 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 go, uh, you know, unchecked. I mean, right now we know because we are monitoring the population immunity levels in Hong Kong, and it's close to zero, which is what we would expect because the control measures uh, in the first part of the outbreak have been quite good. So, you know, this well, means almost everybody in Hong Kong is totally vulnerable. Are we vet testing enough? Uh, well, I mean, until this recent outbreak, the you know the testing capacity was there, but unfortunately, the testing capacity was not fully utilised. Uh, you probably heard there were a number of cases who had gone to doctors two or three times with uh, coughs and respiratory illnesses and not tested and you know finally diagnosed. So at that time, the testing capacity was more than enough. Now, of course. Uh, you know, it is uh, completely uh, overloaded. So, uh, uh, so this is why uh, the testing capacity is uh, short, and the turnaround times have become long as well. Uh, so now we we do need uh, more more testing of the patients as well. Right. I mean, in California, my daughter can get tested whenever she wants. Um, well, that that is great, but I don't think that is the case all across uh, the U.S. or all across the world, uh, as I as I understand from uh, you know, listening to CNN, as you were pointing out, which uh, keeps on reporting on COVID every half an hour. Uh, in many parts of the U.S., the turnaround time of a test is 10 right. days or something. Yeah. Right. So would you think we could steadily ramp up our capacity for testing? Would that be a good idea? It's definitely something that has to be done. And, and I think, uh, uh, I mean, that is being done with existing facilities uh, and including the private sector in Hong Kong. But again, that is also overwhelmed right at the moment. And I think uh, there are efforts to bring in capacity from uh, organizations like the, uh, you know, from mainland, such as the Beijing Genomics Institute, which has uh, quite massive capacity just across the border. So I think that makes sense to, to enhance the capacity for testing. So I think from a patient point of view, it's relatively easy to get a test if you're feeling unwell. Those are, but the issue has become the turnaround time because the number of tests being done is so is overwhelming the system. So increasing the capacity because it's very important to get the turnaround time down so that you isolate sick people quickly. Yes, getting the result back ten days later is that person could have met hundreds of people. 
even four days later is too much, right? Right. So you're thinking 24 hours, 48 at the, at the most? Absolutely. I mean, even setting aside, you know, the public health facilities and so on, uh, this isn't sustainable in economic terms, is it? We can't have a uh, an economy uh, half frozen like we have at the moment. That that can't go on for eighteen months. Doctor Bullwine. Well, it, it can and it can't. We don't have much choice. Uh, you know, whatever happens until the pandemic is controlled, the economy is not going to get back to normal, no matter what we wish. So. The, the best thing is to try and control the pandemic as quickly and as thoroughly as we can. Unfortunately, it's not just up to us. We had excellent control measures, but until it's over everywhere, it's not going to be over anywhere, including here. And, and so that's the problem that we face. That and the fact that we're, we're, we're dealing with imperfect information, as Professor Paris said. We're building a ship while sailing it, so we don't exactly know necessarily what the right course is. We have to just follow the evidence and do our very best to do what makes sense. But we won't be able to get back to, to normal completely until until the pandemic is controlled. There seems to that we're sort of stuck between two houses here. If we shut all restaurants for two weeks um, and sort of to kill something, in, in nip it in the bud, so to speak, um, and bring the rate down to almost zero, that's one option. But it is, it, as soon as life comes back, it, it's going to be uh, back again in the community. So that begs the question of why are we bothering to shut the restaurants at 6pm? If we've got to be in this for the next year... Uh, well... The, the government's policy is suppress and lift. So when we're in a, in a state of increased numbers of infection, we suppress, and when things get better, we lift. And that is really the, the whole purpose of that is to allow us to live with this for a longer period of time. I think we were down to a situation where we had almost, well, virtually no local transmission, and I think there's some thought that this wave, we don't know for sure, but it looks like it may have been initiated by some um, some weaknesses in our quarantine and uh, quarantine procedures, particularly I think with sea crew and perhaps with foreign air crew coming in when who were exempt from, from quarantine. So tightening up those procedures may help. Uh, and then I think when we do get local transmission under control, we probably can lift the measures. But the policy is to, because we have good testing and tracing capability, when the epidemic is relatively controlled and the numbers aren't overwhelming, then you can target your interventions to where you see clusters are coming from and, in a, in a way, put out spot fires. That's the goal. Uh, Manic Paris, um, uh, yesterday I was trying to work out, you know, what proportion of people uh, in Hong Kong actually have the disease. And, you know, we, we talked about 2,000 cases, around 2,000 cases. Even if you sort of said that was only one in ten, if there were like 20,000 cases in Hong Kong, even 30,000 cases in Hong Kong, that's still a very, very small proportion of the population. Is that, is that a consolation or that we should, you know, cling to? Or is that, uh, are we fooling ourselves if we, uh, if we, <laughs> if we think that we're okay because it's, it's only a very, very small percentage that, that do have the disease? Um, yeah, 
yeah, I, I will answer that. But just to add to what uh, Sarah was talking about in response to your previous question, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, we have no option because as soon as we relax, we, we have this huge rebound. I don't think that was inevitable. Uh, I think it is quite clear now from the sequencing of the viruses, fingerprinting of the viruses, that the, the viruses that are currently circulating in Hong Kong causing outbreaks are new ones, and it's not just one, it's multiple introductions that came into Hong Kong. And uh, so I, I think, and as Sarah was pointing out, that this is probably from uh, these sources, such as the uh, the ship crews and, and the quarantine leakage, etc. So if we get back to where we were and plug this loophole, which I'm afraid should not have been allowed in the first place, I think there is a realistic proposition of um, of being fairly under control with a reasonable level of relaxation. Now, coming to your uh, your more recent question, um, yes, I mean it is reassuring because what it means is that the control measures have been successful in Hong Kong compared to some other parts of the world. But on the other hand, of course, uh, it, it means that the population is totally vulnerable, as as I mentioned before. I'm surprised, Dr. Paris, that we think our percentage overall in the community is quite low. I, I saw a remark, report, by the leader of Iran estimating that one-third of the entire country's population had, had experience of the virus. Oh, that is perfectly true for areas where there has been huge transmission. So I think for London, for the city of London... I've seen estimates of, um, and this is from blood testing or antibody testing, uh, of the order of 20% of the population being infected and presumably, you know, largely immune. So, so I mean, you know, Hong Kong has, uh, is, it, it's good that uh, things were kept under control until recently. Uh, but, I mean, it's, it's bad from the point of view that we are still vulnerable. And, by the way, when I say that the population immunity was close to zero, that is, of course, before this major outbreak uh, took place and it's it's left to be seen what impact this has on population immunity now going forward okay and number two three three eight eight two six six mike is on the line mike good morning to you doctors in doctors in new york were only concerned about one thing and that was the effective reproduction number it's called the r number or either one of your um, callers know what the uh, our number, our factor is in Hong Kong? Yes, I mean, my colleagues at the School of Public Health have been monitoring the R what number. Is it? Uh, at the moment, it is, it, it's on the way down. I mean, it went up to about four during the peak of this, uh, this That's current right. outbreak. When, when, when was that peak? Uh, so, I mean, I June, can't well, I'm looking, I'm looking I, at it right now, June 22nd. June 22nd was up to four. Now it's 1.09. Yes, so, so that's what I was about to say. So it was up to about four. It is on the way down. It is quite difficult to be exactly precise what it is closer and closer to right now. So it is on the way down, but um, whether it is under one or not... The, the, effective, the effective imported case, R factor is about 0.04, in which um, the you would expect the epidemic to disappear. Uh, anything below 0.5, you're going to expect the epidemic to disappear. But we've 
all heard nothing but negative this morning. And we we're, it's, it's a double-edged sword, because when the government scares people to death, then you're going to have your mental issues. Uh, so if you if, give people the truth, then they can uh, be rest assured in knowing the truth. But so far, we've just been given all the negative. No, we have not been asked for the positive. I mean, as I mean, uh, you know, the School of Public Health, Dean Gabriel Long gave an interview last week, and he explained what the current data is. The R number is coming down. The measures that have been put into place are having an effect. I'm but talking the about hand, this morning. Uh, so please, may I may I finish? On the other hand, it is clear that the hospital system is overloaded. So we don't have much room to maneuver, as you have heard into this morning's news. There are more than 100 patients diagnosed, tested positive, waiting to go into hospital. So I think the situation uh, let is... Let me give urgent. you another we number. We have to take rapid measures, but it doesn't mean it's doom and gloom. As many of my colleagues have said, we can get this outbreak under control, but what is important is once the outbreak comes under control, how we keep it under control. That's what we were discussing. Okay, Mike, Mike, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We've got we've got a handful of of other questions as well to to get to. So, so thanks very much, and and uh, maybe uh, speak to you uh, again. Uh, Jean in an email says, uh, I fully concur with your psychiatrist's opinion about walks in parks. Unfortunately, the government has closed most, if not all, the parks, as parks have been used as alternate walkways from point A to B. The effect of the closures resulted in main walkways becoming more crowded. Can anyone ask the government to review the policy of park closures? Uh, and uh, on beaches, Jim says, can your experts explain why beaches are closed when restaurants and malls are, st are open? Surely any form of exercise should be encouraged. That comes from Jim. Dr. Borwine, any thoughts on that, on beaches? But in general, I agree that outdoor spaces should be as much as possible open. I think the problem has been the beaches have been extremely crowded. Uh, there are probably ways of opening them that allow more social distancing so that you don't have quite the crowding that we've seen on them before. Uh, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing. We are not, we are very fortunate in Hong Kong that we've never had full lockdown and we likely never will. We have targeted measures. So we're lucky that way. And uh, it's not luck, it's good management. And that we, but not, it's never going to be perfect. We make, we take measures and then we reassess. And it, I, I do agree that it's possible that closing all of the outdoor spaces may not be the most effective thing. All right, uh, Manik Paris. Uh, three questions here from Phil, who says, "Could you ask one of your guests to clarify?" First, how many strains of COVID-19 are recognized? Second, has any immunity been developed? And how long does it last? I know the question of the, the, how long the immunity lasts has, has come up in discussions and, uh, and so on. First of all, yeah. how many so, strains are there? So very quickly, when you talk about strains, I mean, as the RNA virus, there are mutations. And, and in each geographic location, there are kind of characteristic signatures. But in terms of whether these are functionally relevant or not is a different question. So most of them are not functionally relevant. There is one particular mutation um, called 614, which probably is, but that is now the dominant virus, certainly in Hong Kong, for quite a long time. So I don't think this particular outbreak is because of that, but uh, but it may be more transmissible. Uh, now, in, in, in regard to the question of um, immunity. immunity and how long it lasts, uh, 
Uh, that, of course, we don't know. I mean, we know that people do develop antibody when they get uh, infected, um, um, and it seems to last for at least the period of follow-up, which at the moment in Hong Kong is just a few months. Uh, but how much longer it lasts, it's still too early to say, because after all, you know, the, these cases have been relatively recent. But there is reason to believe that it will at least last for some months or maybe some years. If you go back to SARS, the immunity did, uh, antibody at least lasted for a couple of years, and other forms of immunity, which is called T-cell immunity, lasted for 10 years, 15 years. So uh, these are still being worked out. But it's... Um, uh, reasonable, I would say. Okay, uh, w- one more uh, question. This is from this is from Matthew. Matthew uh, had made those comments which uh, last week, uh, uh, Professor Perez. I-, I know you responded to. You called and you responded to. Let's, so let's let's be the last word on the issue. But this is from Matthew, who says last week, last Thursday, Malik Perez called into the program to discount the claims of a Hong Kong new COVID cover up by Yan Li Meng. But I do hope a public academic institution like Hong Kong U would be conducting a rigorous independent inquiry into a serious complaint, are they? Also, I still haven't heard any detailed explanation of the reported departure of three of the top eight Hong Kong U microbiologists. Can either guest shed light on this? Do you want to respond to that one more time, Malik Perez? So exactly. I mean, you know, as I told you at that time, uh, Hong Kong U University examined the evidence discussed the evidence and made a statement, uh, you know, which is quite unequivocal. And I told you, you know, in my case, it's a total fabrication, right? I gave you the hard evidence for that. And by the way, I mean, you know, this person is being portrayed as a highly eminent virologist. She's a postdoctoral fellow, which basically means she's a research trainee. Okay, so so that is uh, to do one side. I mean, uh, okay. uh, as regards... Other, other staff, they're not in our own department, so I can't directly comment, but I know at least one of them had indicated his uh, intention to, 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 to depart, but not, not depart Hong Kong, but to move to uh, uh, you know, another sector of uh, the healthcare system many, many months ago. But I can't you know, comment on, on people's uh, decisions uh, to, to, to move or, or to, to, to resign and, and uh, change their jobs. Okay, well, well, we'll leave that topic there. Um, just one more. This is from uh, Alan. Uh, and again, perhaps uh, Manic Paris, you could respond to this. Uh, Alan says, Hugh said COVID must end, all diseases do eventually. No, not by themselves. We think that because in the last century we've had effective vaccines for many diseases. But until we have a vaccine, diseases remain in the population indefinitely and periodically flare up and kill. See, for example, smallpox. The Egyptians had it in the 3rd century. We've had it for 2,000 years, up to the last known case in 1977. Trump spouts this, it will just go away idea. Like everything he says, it's a foolish delusion. That comes uh, from Alan. Malik Paris, do you agree with Alan? So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, when, uh, when I said that immunity in the population develops and the, out- the outbreak transmission becomes less and less, it then comes to an equilibrium where, of course, more new people are born or the immunity wanes, so people become less uh, resistant and you have infections. So you, you come to a, a level of equilibrium. So this is why many endemic infections, such as measles, will continue unless there is a vaccine, right? So, uh, but the, the, the initial phase of the outbreak uh, does decline with building up of population immunity. But as we said, for this particular disease, uh, we really cannot afford to take that path because the consequences will be too 
Okay, well, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Uh, Malik Paris, there, Chair of Virology at the Hong Kong University School of Public Health. And Dr. Sarah Bowine, a uh, Canadian physician uh, trained at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Thank you very much indeed. Just a few more emails to uh, finish off. Mike says, what's wrong with these numbers? 2,643 confirmed cases, 2,643 hospitalised cases. If you can't figure it out, you must be a government employee. Uh, and uh, Hugh says, your guests tend to provide the most pablum advice aimed at the more prosperous levels of Hong Kong society. At least one caller today focused on the plight of our less fortunate citizens. Come on, RTHK, don't just skate. That comes from Hugh. And finally, Andrew Kay on Benny Tai, which is where we came in, said he should be in jail. He has done nothing whatsoever for Hong Kong, but he's had his 15 minutes of fame, as I say, comes from uh, Andrew <coughs> Kay. Uh, a debate going on on our Facebook page, which uh, you might want to uh, check out, uh, about uh, um, freedom of speech uh, and so on, and about this programme, uh, <laughs> as you mentioned. Uh, might, but we'll give that a rest for now. Uh, thanks very much indeed. Um, I'm going home to turn off the radio. <laughs> very wise. Listen once a day, just during back chat, obviously. OK, the weather forecast. Uh, there's a thunderstorm warning, which will be effective for at least another 15 minutes. It's a very hot weather warning as well. And today it's uh, forecast to be mainly fine, apart from a couple of showers. Isolated thunderstorms around at first and very hot. Temperatures up to 33 degrees. Uh, the showers will increase gradually. Uh, so, so, sorry, still very hot tomorrow. And then showers will increase gradually. Uh, and uh, there will be thunderstorms in the middle and latter part of the week. 29 degrees, the latest reading. The relative humidity is at 77%. To prevent the spread of disease, make sure all drainage traps contain water. Pour half a litre of water into each drain outlet every week. Check sinks, baths, toilets, and floor drain outlets regularly. If drainage pipes are leaking or blocked, or drain outlets emit a foul smell, arrange prompt inspection and repair by a qualified person. Don't alter drains and pipes on your own. Visit chp.gov.hk for details. 934, the news now with Samantha Butler. A medical expert says he hopes the number of coronavirus cases will peak this week, but it will still be another one to two months before cases come close to zero. A further 128 people were confirmed with COVID-19 yesterday, with 103 contracted locally. University of Hong Kong professor Benjamin Cowling, who's an epidemiologist with the WHO,